0: A minimal creed, an ample science, and maximal faith. That is our aim. Welcome to Experiential Theology, the podcast where we investigate and talk about the relation between human experience and knowledge of God.
1: Okay, hello and welcome back to the Experiential Theology podcast. I'm Benjamin Naismith. I'm in uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in Canada. And my friend Juan Torres is in Los Angeles. Hello, Juan.
0: Hey, Ben. Excited to be back once again.
1: Yeah, me too. Today we're going to talk about uh, revelation as a topic uh, in theology. And in particular, we're going to look at an essay called Revelation and Bible, written by Peter Forsyth in uh, 1912. And he's certainly one of my favorite theologians. And I think he's coming around to be one of your favorites, too, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, he definitely has. Uh, I've learned a great deal about his work in the last year, year and a half, but only as of late during this COVID-19 quarantine, I guess. I've had a lot of reading time. And, you know, there are so many free essays that you can download and read. That's what I've been doing for the most part.
1: Yeah. So if you want to follow along with us, you can go to the link uh, in our podcast show notes or description in the have a link to a PDF and um, actually also an EPUB of uh, this essay, Revelation and Bible, written in 1912. Okay, so let's get, uh, let's get down to it. The first thing we want to talk to about, or know, is like, what is revelation anyway? Uh, and so, what Peter Forsyth says, the first sentence of his essay here, is he says, Christian revelation is really redemption. It is not showing something, nor telling something, but doing something and something very decisive. So this is an interesting uh, theme, and and in fact it is not necessarily um, doesn't come easy to me. I think that my original expectations, sort of growing up in my in my background, was that revelation is information that when God reveals something. What God is doing is giving humans information that we couldn't have had otherwise. What about you? What's revelation in in your background?
0: Same. Uh, I mean, I I heard the classical idea, right? That there's natural revelation or the book of nature. And then there's a redemptive revelation, which is the Bible, equated with the Bible. And so there you have it. That's what I grew up believing and hearing.
1: Yeah, and I think other people will... Well, revelation and authority are very closely related. So if you want to know what is the authority in Christianity, it depends who you ask. Uh, If you ask a Catholic, they will perhaps refer to the hierarchy of the priesthood. If you ask an Eastern Orthodox, they might refer to their liturgy or their tradition. If you ask an evangelical what their authority is, they'll probably say the Bible. We're Bible people. um, There's there's plenty of, of answers out there and but if you go with that bible answer it's a little bit more obvious the the idea is that revelation the thing that gets gives us the authority in christianity is the stuff that we find in the bible and sometimes it can be as simple as the bible is the revelation of god and we want to move away from that today and i think peter forsyth is showing us a way forward so what does this have to do with experiential theology then Uh, any thoughts
0: Yeah, well, uh, what we're going to see in our talk today is just how the main idea here that Forsyth is arguing for is that we need to move beyond the idea of revelation as merely information, but of revelation ultimately as redemption. So in other words, if the word of the gospel has not reached us, If through the spirit, we have not appropriated and received that word, then God has not been revealed. So that's why uh, it's experiential theology, because if and until that has occurred, uh, Forsyth would say, and many other theologians nowadays, that proper revelation has not yet occurred.
1: Yes, so the question of knowledge of God and revelation are closely related. And what we're trying to appreciate here is that you can't really know God until you've experienced a redemption by God, until you've appropriated that redemption. Um, and, uh, and I would even be a little bit skeptical about what you can know about God as well. Um, I, think that, I think that a lot of knowledge about God, so-called, is very speculative. Um, but, but thankfully, the most important thing is to be known by God, even if you have lots of wrong ideas about God. Yeah. All right. Uh, so one of the things we really want to understand is we want to appreciate is that in experiential theology... Uh, often there may be a concern that it's too subjective because we're talking about our experiences. Um, and so if revelation is connected with redemption and redemption is something we have in our experience, isn't that putting revelation on, on shaky subjective ground? Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, I
0: do, but uh, let me revisit that later. Maybe in okay. of what we covered today.
1: Okay, uh, so I'll, I just say that um, what we got to get straight is that if if the Christian faith is about experiencing a redemption of some kind, um, that redemption is something that we encounter in our experience. The experience is the place we go to s- sort of bump into it. It doesn't mean that experience itself is the revelation or is the reliable source of knowledge we can have all sorts of experiences and um and they don't necessarily add up to revelation just because we have them even religious experiences Uh, and also there's the question of interpreting so we have our experiences and then we interpret those experiences and so there's many layers involved um and so the idea that The revelation and experience, if we put those things together, it's going to be too subjective. Um, That's a valid concern in some cases, but also if there's nothing experienced, then there's really nothing to talk about either. (laughs) And so, and, and there's really no revelation at all. It's just speculation about God. Okay. So what do we want to talk about next then?
0: Well, I think, uh, we have given a good uh, introductory set of words. Uh, I'd like to begin with a quotation where I think uh, we can easily summarize what P.T. Forsyth means as, as to the revelation, as to the proper relation between Revelation and the Bible. I'll quote, Revelation is not merely the Bible. It is what gives value to the Bible. It is the gospel in the Bible skip a sentence. The word of God is the gospel, which is in the Bible, but it is not identical with the Bible. <laughs>
1: yes. I think elsewhere he says something along the lines of um, revelation is to the Bible as the soul is to the body. So we shouldn't confuse the Bible with revelation. Now, how many times have you heard somebody say This book in my hand is the word of God. (laughs) How does that make you feel (laughs) these days?
0: Yeah. I mean, I know what they mean. I know what they mean, right? But it's definitely problematic. It's definitely problematic. I mean, to me, honestly, this topic of the revelation, of the relation, sorry, between Revelation and the Bible is very elementary at this point, but I think it's just so foundational that it's worth revisiting time and time again, especially in my context here in the U.S. where, I mean, there's so many evangelicals and there's a lot of conservative Christians that that have this idea. And this is how they do theology. They just, you know, grab Bible verses from books and string them together. And there it is. And they think it's authoritative because they're putting verses together from the Bible. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: I want to give an example. I was listening to a podcast a while ago and, and the topic turned to women in ministry. Like, should women be in ministry? And, um, and the person, the guest on the podcast, they said, oh, I think it's very biblical for women to be in ministry. And that's why I believe it, because the Bible says, in my interpretation, that women should be in ministry. I was like, I was just so disappointed because can't you see that the spirit is at work amongst women as well and that they can also serve in ministry? (laughs) Do you need a book to tell you that? And even if the book said otherwise, would you follow it blindly? Uh, It just seems like such a abdication of responsibility to constantly be going back to the Bible says this and the Bible says that. We have a responsibility to interpret the actual world in which we live To respond to the actual spirit of the living jesus in the present day and not simply to parrot what the bible says back to all the questions that we ask it
0: yeah definitely
1: okay so a nice quote that i really appreciated peter forsyth writes um he writes this maybe for a little bit of shock value he says um christ wrote nothing He commanded nothing to be written, and for both prophets and apostles, for Old Testament and New Testament, the writing was an afterthought. The gospel gift from God is neither a book nor a genius, but a Christ. It is himself. It is a person, an incarnation. And then he he continues on. He says, um a little bit later he says the gift then is not a book but a fact a person and his consumatory act so those are strong words if you are a biblicist if you ha- if you put the bible in the position of ultimate authority and most precious gift from god Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, um, I think I tweeted that once a long time ago and, and it seemed to be counterintuitive to some people. It's, it's very, it runs really deep, this insistence that the Bible is our authority, that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible this, the Bible that, biblical this, biblical that. It, it's got a tight grip on many of us these days.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, so that's a little bit negative, um, but maybe there's some clues in what we've said so far as to what Revelation actually is. So we've said that it's redemption, uh, but we've said that it's not a book, but a Christ. So what does it mean for Revelation to be not a book, but a Christ, for the gift of God, the gospel gift to be a Christ and not a book?
0: Well, I think uh, here we are seeing the connection between uh, revelation and atonement, right? Because, I mean, ultimately, P.T. Forsyth would say, and we would agree that uh, the significance of Christ ultimately rests in what he accomplished, which is the redemption of the world. He didn't come just to teach clever parables, to give us the golden rule, to give us you know, a nice prayer to recite, uh, a good sermon on the Mount or a good sermon on the plain. He came specifically to reconcile us to God. I mean, that is the teaching of the New Testament. It's an astonishing claim, but that is the teaching of all the major New Testament authors. So I think that's what Forsyth is alluding to.
1: Yeah, he says somewhere else, and I don't remember exactly where, he has like a bit of a thought experiment. It says, "Would Christianity be what it is if Christ had simply delivered the Sermon on the Mount and then ascended into heaven?" <laughs> sort of, what would have been missing at that point? Um, a lot, actually, quite a bit. But you wouldn't think that. Um, you wouldn't think that, given the way that some people treat sort of the red letters of the Bible as if they are the revelation, the gift of God they're certainly valuable and precious but but in a subordinate sense to the actual sort of fount and foundation of revelation yeah and uh, yeah go ahead
0: yeah like you were saying the red letter christianity right and so i mean i'm on twitter quite a bit and i still see a lot of people priests lay people everybody a lot of them just uh, insisting that if we, if we would only heed the teaching of Christ, I mean, we would just be in a much better place. I think in many ways that is true. But again, what they're doing, I feel, is really, it's really putting uh, the climax of the Gospels, which is always the death of Jesus and the resurrection, right? aside in favor of okay let's just uh look to our ethics on the teaching of jesus because nobody is scandalized by the teachings of jesus i guess and so that way it'll be easier to get people to jump on board and say yeah let's do this
1: yeah so this is a bit of a spectrum that we're on here um so you there are christians um and i was one of them once who who say revelation just is the bible if you want to know what god wants just read the bible and believe that and do that um then there's christians that realize that that just can't possibly be true because it seems like god hates god's enemies in parts of the bible and it seems like god commands horrible things to be done in parts of the bible and they say well let's reinterpret the whole bible through jesus christ And I think, okay, great. That sounds like a good plan. Um, But then what they actually do is they reinterpret the whole Bible through the words of Jesus Christ. And it becomes a Christianity of Jesus, the teacher. Mm. And I, I kind of use the phrase red letter Christianity for that, just because um, it does focus on the words and particularly the red letter words in some Bibles. Now, Peter Forsyth wants to lead us past that, past the Bible, past Christ, the teacher to Christ, the man of action, to the actions he did. And I think it's safe to say for Peter Forsyth, and I think I agree, that when it comes to interpreting the revelation of God, the actions of Jesus speak louder than his words. And that's where we can really get closer to the revelation of God that's hidden in Christ. Well, that, that leads into another concept, the idea that revelation is hidden hidden have you heard that before uh yeah i have what what context have you heard about the hiddenness of revelation
0: uh well it kind of makes me think of certain quotes i've read by luther about the hidden god the hidden divinity in the flesh of jesus so a lot of paradoxical truths that you find in the bible uh that's what comes to mind immediately how about you?
1: Yeah, so for me, it comes in the context of um, natural theology and this sort of apologetics um, community that you'll find online as well. Of course, every community is online, so that's okay. Um, but this idea that if everybody just looked, they could see the revelation, it would be obvious to anybody who actually looks. Uh, like, look, the world has been created, so there must be a creator. Look, there must there are causes, so there must be a first cause. Like, look... Um, there exist morals, and so there must be a moral lawgiver, and And then they're frustrated when their opponents, like the atheist community, say, that's not convincing at all. I'm not convinced. And I think that, and this leads to sort of a partisanship and a frustration because both sides thinks the other side is kind of stupid <laughs> for not seeing what they see. Um, but the, the, the assumption that it's a big mistake on both sides is that revelation should be just out there in the open for anybody to see under, with no conditions and no posture required. Uh, but that contrasts tremendously with revelation as redemption. You're not going to know that God exists apart from actually entering into fellowship with God and experiencing the redemption Um that God makes available in Christ. You may think you know, but but it may just be a philosophical God of your own making, uh, a, a socially constructed God or an intellectually modeled, um, modeled God. And so this idea that revelation is hidden means that God is not available for cheap. We can't just know God, know about God, um, without actually engaging in this experience of redemption. Uh, It's really just out of reach, unless we reach for it with the right purposes. Yeah, any thoughts on that? Have you heard, have you engaged in natural theology at all? or Have you read any comments on that? I know that Karl Barth was not a big fan.
0: you know, I didn't really have an apologetics stage in my Christian life, I guess. But uh yes, I'm very much aware that there are entire ministries dedicated to that endeavor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God bless them. Okay, revelation is somehow hidden in Christ crucified. So it, you might even say it's hidden in the Bible. You can't just sort of like you can't just hold it in your hand like you can hold a bible it's more elusive than that it's hidden in christ crucified behind the bible behind christ behind the red letters in and even behind the crucifixion so peter forsyth talks about in this essay how everybody saw that jesus was crucified and nobody really received a revelation as a result you remember that part yeah what was the point there do you remember I don't mean this to be a quiz show. I seem like I'm asking you a lot of questions. So sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, No, yeah.
0: Just talking about the fact that it's not enough even to be there, to be a witness of Jesus's crucifixion. Like that still doesn't cut it because a lot of people, like you said, concluded, oh, okay, it's just another heretic or another person trying to... uh, get rid of Roman rule or who knows, right? An insurrectionist, uh, a heretic, a false prophet, a false messiah. So a lot of people make those connections. Even Paul himself did at first, right? So yeah, it is is not enough to say that, you know, Christ crucified is the revelation. I mean, that is correct, but we're not quite there yet. We need a little more.
1: Yeah, the... you have to remember that why was Jesus crucified? The reason was, from a human perspective, Jesus was crucified to prove once and for all that God was not with him. And that proof was basically successful. <laughs> he was crucified and God did not save him. People mocked him. They said, if you're really who you are, then God will save you. And God didn't save him. He dies God-forsaken. So it doesn't get much more hidden than that. Um, everybody was quite sure that this would decide once and for all whether God was with him. And, it turned, and, and on the day that he died, it looked for all who could see like God was not with him.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, to a lot of people, they would say that, you know, he was hanging on the cross because he was cursed by God as a lawbreaker and a blasphemer right
1: yeah and we should add that that is uh, in fact the biblical interpretation of what happens when people are hung upon a tree (laughs) so and, and this comes up in galatians where paul points out that the law says aka the bible says that cursed is everybody who's hung upon a tree and yet jesus christ is not cursed of god but god is in fact pleased with jesus and the The Christian doctrine of the resurrection, which we can talk about another time, at the very least, no matter what else you believe about it, it means that God um, is overturning this human verdict on Jesus. That the crucifixion says God is not with him, and the resurrection says, no, actually, God is with him. God is pleased with Jesus. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Here, revelation is is redemption. And then once you talk about redemption, then we have to talk about atonement. So we're going to have to do that very soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, like you said, we'll try to talk about a couple other things in this essay, and we'll focus on, on atonement and redemption another time. Um, so one way to look at redem- revelation is this, is this question. Um, Revelation, I would say, is when we appropriate for ourselves how God interpreted Jesus, if that makes any sense. Yeah. If we can see Jesus the way that God sees Jesus, then we can see the world the way that God sees the world. And then we're seeing with God this is revelation and you can't see these things without um, entering into fellowship with God uh, to have an experience of being transformed by God to interpret the world, the way that God interprets it, to see the weak as valuable, to see the strong as sometimes to be pitied, um, to see this sort of reversal of human judgments, especially the judgment of who is worthwhile, the crucified one or, or the rulers of the people. Hmm. Yeah, it also connects to it, it also connects at a, at a very personal level um, is that our, our experience of revelation is an experience of God interpreting our lives, is to have this outsider coming to us through the Holy Spirit and interpreting the way we live, the privileges we have, um, our own sense of self-worth and accomplishment, um, our own ranking of ourselves with respect to other people, our own moral estimate of of how successful we are as as ethical people. And when you come into the presence of this consuming fire and all of these self-estimates sort of crumble and burn away, um, held up alongside the risen Christ and how wonderful he is. And then there's an offer to become like that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like this is revelation. It's not not something that you can just read your way into.
0: Yeah. So another thing we could say, I suppose, is that revelation is not passive. It's not just the text lying there in front of you, lifeless without movement right so we could also say with romans 1 that the gospel is the power of god unto salvation the dynamite of god so there's a dynamic inherent in the message right the proclamation through the holy spirit and it works upon us and somehow through the message through the holy spirit we come to believe we come to faith and we come to see things we come to see Jesus the way God sees Jesus and that changes how we look at everything.
1: Yes. So as we kind of get to the end of our of our episode here, let's let's go back to the Bible a couple more times and and let's try to understand its its role and maybe sort of appreciate how important it is to not let the Bible get in the way of the gospel. Um, so Peter Forsyth makes an interesting argument in this article to address the fact that many people might be frustrated that something so important as God's interpretation of the death of Christ, as like the message of the resurrection of Christ, as also known as the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that might come to us in something that's sort of, um, contingent and broken and flawed aka the new testament (laughs) that that the apostles and the early church and the people who wrote and spoke and encouraged one another about this gospel that god has raised jesus uh, that god has reversed the human rejection of jesus at the cross um, would come to us in such a fallible dated historically contingent way And maybe you could share with us like what Forsyth's answer to that is or how he sort of puts it in perspective. Well,
0: I know that you have a quote that hopefully you'll share with us, but I think Forsyth reminds us that God works through imperfect human beings all to the entirety of the Bible. God's working through the apostles, the prophets, even through Jesus. And even Jesus a lot of people like to just say, well, Jesus is God, therefore he's perfect, therefore he knows everything, therefore he never sinned, therefore he, never, uh, he was never wrong about anything, right? But, I mean, when you actually look at the text, I mean, we do know that Jesus shared in our humanity and part of being human means that you are limited. You don't know everything. And Jesus was himself wrong about certain things again that doesn't diminish from his work of atonement but it just makes him what he was a human being
1: right yeah absolutely um i think that jesus began his ministry thinking that his teaching and his proclamation might actually turn around israel and lead to a national revival, and convince the leaders. And he had to work through the disappointment that that didn't actually happen, and then it grew upon him with time that his path was going to go through a confrontation with the leaders, which is going to lend, lead to his death. Um, he doesn't. I he. I don't get the sense that he knew from the beginning of his ministry how it was all going to end, but he grew into that with through um, through fellowship with his father. Uh, the argument that Forsyth makes is that. The most important thing about the Christian faith, which is the death of Christ, that is, that was a national sin. The leaders of the people arranged to have Jesus murdered. God used a judicial murder as the vehicle of revelation to redeem the world. So how could we say that a Bible is of no use unless it's perfect? in all the senses that we want it to be perfect (laughs) the revelation is hidden in a judicial murder certainly it can be a little bit easier to find through a book that is not the inerrant word of god in its original manuscripts (laughs) we can work with the bible um just like we work with the judicial murder of jesus christ as the as the place where revelation happened We can do much, we can do it much easier, honestly. Um, And then Forsyth gets it in perspective where he says that the Bible is there for the sake of the gospel within it. Anything might happen to the Bible if only it glorified the gospel. He also says, we're not going to be judged by what we thought of the Bible, but by what we did with its gospel, not by what we knew of the Bible, but by the way that it made us realize we are known of God. And then he goes further and he says, the Bible would die well if the gospel lived better. And I think that this is what I would like to call a uh, he must increase and it must decrease approach to <laughs> Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. We, we can safely allow the Bible to decrease in our sort of uncritical reverence of it if only we appropriate the gospel in practice in a more full way.
0: Great. I think this is a perfect place for us to end this episode. And uh, next time we're going to deal with a related subject, which is
1: atonement. All right. Until next time.
0: See you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Experiential Theology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Please rate the podcast in whatever platform you use and share it with whomever you think would enjoy our subject here. You could also leave a voice message by going to anchor.fm experientialtheology theology.